Welcome to Paramotor Nations, episode 18, cross-country discussion, part two. Last week, we were talking about, in a really general terms, just going over the types of things that you'd want to have on a cross-country flight, your chase cars, your fuel, your oil, all of those kind of things. And this week, we are actually going to dive in and do a planning session. We are going to uh, go over the Michigan trip from west to east why we went west to east, et cetera, et cetera. But first, let me uh, have Rick Davies tell you all about our sponsors. Hey guys, welcome to the show. We wanna take a minute to say a special thanks to all of our sponsors, Top Flight Powered Paragliding, offering P P PPG products that you need in our, in our sport, including one wheels. Don't be the only person at the next flying that doesn't have one. I got one, even I can read one. Fly my PPG. Go see Justin and Mike in beautiful St. John's, Michigan, and learn all you need to safely fly. They even taught David Wolf how to foot launch. Pigeon Paramotors. Visit Blake's website as well as his YouTube channel showing everyone his passion for flying. Stop by his merchandise store and pick up something while you're there. Clearwater Pools in Nantucket. you got a pool? Call Craig. But more than anything, he wants you to support his friend Todd Scandrett and the mission of Resurgence PPG, helping bets soar high and enjoy the freedom of flight. I fly Indiana. Kevin and his team will get you flying in no time. Call Kevin if you're in the great state of Indiana. And lastly, the show is started and supported by the Tri-State Skywalkers. Find the Tri-State Skywalkers on Facebook. Brandon started this group to promote para community of pilots supporting each other and helping each other to continue to fly safely. Thank you, Rick. I really appreciate that. So let's go ahead and introduce our panel. Um, so Dave Ruff, Trigfire, how was your week going? You had some interesting places to fly, right? Well, did a lot of flying this week, probably put down about uh, oh, seven, eight uh, hours of flying. And hey, I got kicked out of a group on Facebook today. So I'm wearing my shame hat. <laughs> Back to you, Nicole. And Dave Wolf, did you get your uh, motor running again? I'm sorry, I'm still stuck on Dave's hat. What was the question? <laughs> what hat? Did you oh, get your motor running again? Oh, it's an electrical issue. I found out a um, gentleman by the name of Tim Garvey up in Twinsburg, Ohio. I met Tim when I was first uh, training back in September, and uh, he flies uh, fresh breezes. He's actually got three, and uh, he knows everything inside and out about these things. So I turned, I actually started with my friends here in town, and we gave it a good try. And uh, uh, Tim really knows what he's doing, so uh, he took it for me, and uh, he's going to work on it. And hopefully by next week, I'll be back flying my trike. Can you hear that, Rick? I mean, he <laughs> says he's still going to fly his trike, but um, didn't you have something else in the works as well? I mean, I'm not trying to start nothing between you and Rick right now, but didn't I'll you have something me. else? <laughs> That's the way he started a long time ago with Rick, man. Uh, well, I've got an Atom 80 uh, uh, unit on its way, a Maverick Atom 80 with a Spider 3 coming as well in the next couple of weeks here. I'm very looking forward to being able to fly, you know, foot launching as well as striking. That's awesome. That's awesome. You're going to love it. You're going to love both. Yeah. And we will get Rick over to the light side eventually. And, and, yeah. I mean, you got to be physically fit. You got to be a little bit stronger in the legs and a little bit more physically fit to, to foot launch. But, uh, you know, you can just be lazy and sit on a chair. I've been doing it for a while. It's cool. 
Don't listen to him, Rick. You're asking for it. Don't listen to him, Rick. Don't listen to him. Don't, you know, be the bigger man. You know, take the high road. Just He's just hurt. His feelings are hurt. It's okay. Uh, Calvin, uh, P-O-C-P-P-G, you had a pretty interesting last weekend. What was going on with you? I I went and helped out in an SIV clinic in a competition. I didn't fly at all because I've only got six flights, so I don't have enough flights to do the clinic. But I got to hang out with Leah Catula and Laurie Kadakis and help with the SIV clinic. Had a lot of fun. I was exhausted after the weekend. Had a lot of fun. Absolutely. That's awesome. And Lori was the one teaching it? Mm-hmm. Awesome. Awesome. Um, Terry Williamson, Adventureland. Now, I know you had a good weekend this last weekend. Where did you go? Well, we were just up at uh, Silver Lake, actually, up here in Michigan. Had a good big uh, family kind of reunion party right on the lake. So it was uh, beautiful, a little windy. We are hoping to fly up there, but that was not going to happen. <laughs> it was a good time. Sometimes you have to be thankful for the times that you don't get to fly so you can get other things done. I have figured this out as far as like my, my house and everything. So we've had a, a run of bad weather lately, at least, you know, rain, it's Florida. I mean, afternoons in Florida, it just rains. So I haven't been able to fly very much, but anyway, Jean, riversideairpark.net. How was your weekend? I had a great weekend. We, it's kind of funny. We're talking about a cross state flight cause I was just across the state and my family and I were camping uh, over by Warren dunes, which is the closest thing we have to California in Michigan, which isn't, isn't saying much, but it's a beautiful dune on, on Lake Michigan. And, uh, I guess my only flying in the last week is I got my son Gabriel up. Uh, see if I can do a screen share here. We got him up, uh, in the PPC. Sorry. It was a PPC. Here it comes sharing there and we got up. He's, he's my six year old. Um, but we were up this last uh, week uh, in a brief window. So there he is in the back seat. Oh, that is That's a my cutie. Week <laughs> that is a cutie. Um, as you will notice, Brandon is missing tonight. He is enjoying some much needed family time. He is actually taking his son flying. So we, we are not going to hold it against him. He still loves you. So just so you know that that's where he's at. Um, and uh, he just needed some, some, airtime with his son. So again, we don't hold it against him. Just saying. Um, so Rick Davies, PPG gorilla. I have been waiting to hear about your sky pirates poker run. Kind of what made you think of it? Why you chose the route that you chose? And then also, um, what were you looking for in the weather that morning? Well, first of all, Nicole, I have to say we were very disappointed that you couldn't make it. I know that you have a lot going on in your life right now, so you get a pass this time. But we had people come from all over the state, and uh, we had a really, really great turnout. It, the idea started out, um, Carl, my buddy that I fly with, had the idea that um, we would get a few guys together, a few local guys, and do a, a poker run. So, yeah, that sounded like fun. So he said, okay, well, put it on Facebook. And we put it on Facebook, and we had an amazing turnout. We ended up having, like, 50 people enter. I think there were 30 some 30 plus pilots. We also let the people that were doing the ground support be a part of the contest because we really couldn't do it without them. Um, we started it out at our home airport of Wachula 
And uh, we went from there. The, we drew a card at the first airport when we registered, took off at sunrise. Our first leg of the flight was over to Avon Park to see Shannon and, and Lauren Michaels at Four Winds PPG. They opened up their facility there to us, and uh, we drew a card over there. From there, we flew another 22 or 23 miles north up to Lake Wales. And um, Eric Farewell hosted us there at his uh, hangar at Aviator, and we drew our final card there and had a cookout. So one of the things that I, I wish we had done because we had no idea it was going to be that big, I wish we would have um, drawn more support for Resurgence PPG. We did put out a, a donation jar and collected like $120 for them. But it, when we do it over, when we do it again, we're going to do like 50, 50, 50% 50 to Resurgence and 50% to the pot. The winning pot ended up being $800 in cash. And um, wow. one of the ground support guys actually won it. He was a pilot, but he wasn't flying that day, um, Glenn, uh, Glenn Tussing. And he was there just to support, just being ground support. And he was driving a trailer around, picking up people's motors and bringing them back and everything. So it was a, it was a great event. It just, it went off without a hitch. It couldn't have been any better. That's so wonderful. In the planning uh, part, I mean, these are airports that we've flown to ourselves a couple of times and I reached out to um, Shannon over at Four Winds and just asked if there were any specifics for the airport. And she gave those to me and I did the same thing for Lake Wales. And I kind of did a detailed email with the, the rules or, or recommendations for each of the airports and told everybody just to plan it, you know, like across country. So it went, went really well. We had one pilot that um, only completed one leg because his wing was so slow he couldn't penetrate. It took him like two hours to get to the first stop. And, and he left and went home after that. Excuse me. We had one pilot that um, couldn't penetrate at all with his wing, and he went back to Wachula. But other than that, everybody completed it successfully with no breakdowns or uh, or forced landings or anything like that. What was the weather and what airport? So you went from Wachula to Avon Park to... Uh, to Lake Wales. Wales. Yep. Yeah, that's right. It was about a... It was almost a 50-mile trip. And uh, some of the guys made the flight from Lake Wales all the way back to Wachula. Um, the weather that day was just an overcast all day. So there was very little wind. It was just perfect. Um, I kind of wish I would have made that last leg and flown back instead of driving back. But um, The weather was, uh, this was like four days after that tropical storm that recently moved up through Louisiana. So we weren't sure if we were even going to get to fly. We were watching it day by day, minute by minute. I was checking the weather every 10 minutes. I was frazzled. But um, it ended up being really great, really just perfect weather for that kind of thing. Overcast kept us from having thermals and, and light wind, so it was just amazing. So how did you get enough ground support for that? Where did you find those volunteers? Is that through Facebook or just word of mouth? We, um, we um, My dad has a trailer, Gorilla Ground. We have a trailer that my trike is in and a truck. So we had a few spots there. Larry DeSico from Parrot Orange Products, um, he's waiting on his new equipment. He doesn't have a machine to fly right now, but he volunteered to come down with his big trailer and truck and just run ground support. Just uh, just give people rides back as they needed. And then some of the pilots brought their own ground support, brought their wives or girlfriends or both, but not at the same time, you know, and, and just everybody uh, everybody made it back. So it was, it was really cool. Nice. Oh my goodness. Uh, Kathy wanted to know which wings were the issue. Like what, um, what were the wings that didn't make it, weren't able to penetrate? Gosh, the guy that didn't make it, 
he had a Mac Para. Um, I can't remember which one it was. I remember seeing he had put it up for sale like the day after that. I think that the issue was it was just it was way too big for him. Was the main thing. I think he was underweight on it, and uh, like like when we were landing at the second airport, he was just making it to the first airport, and uh, he called us and said, "Hey, I'm just going to head on home because home was the other direction for him." So. So, so you guys basically fighting a headwind the whole time, too? The first leg, we had a headwind. Um, the first leg to Avon Park, 20 miles, and it took it took me about an hour to get there. Um, but, but after that, we uh, we turned and headed north, and we had a tailwind, and I was making 40 miles an hour across the ground, so it was like a 20-minute flight, you know, so really quick, maybe 30-minute flight. That's awesome. Yeah, that perfect so weather. awesome. And now you were checking the weather. I know you were checking the weather a few days ahead, and you said that if it wasn't going to be right, that, that we would just put it off to the next weekend, which, by the way, if you had put it off to the next weekend, I could have come. Oh, you'd have been there? Oh, geez, yeah. We'd have loved to have you guys down. <laughs> next time, we're going to do another one. We're going to do things a little bit differently. We're going to try to open up camping there at the airport at Wachula. They have like 50 RV sites there that they only use when they're having events at the airport, so we're going to work with the city. We had a, a lot of support from our airport. The newspaper actually did a story and put us on the front page. So we were uh, we were welcomed, which is a good thing. So next year we're going to try to do camping at the airport and try to make it a round trip where we don't need all that ground support. I know that Wings Over Winter has gotten so large that I think the Aviator has closed the event to anyone that wasn't trained by Aviator or one of their uh, alliance schools. So maybe we can start something in central Florida that, you know, I know that the, I don't think they're doing beach blast anymore, but hopefully we can get something done there as well as Palm Bay, you know, maybe something in the summertime um, as yeah. well as Palm Bay in the winter. Yeah, it would be awesome. We're trying to look at the dates and figure out what is best. We kind of want to be spaced out between the other events, but um, the middle of summer is not always the best, you know, it's a, it's hit and miss. I mean, I guess any time of year is, but we're going to decide on the time of year and, uh, and plan it bigger and better um, next year. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. I, I will, I will try my absolute best. So what, just so you guys know what, what my appointment was is if you guys don't have um, life insurance that covers you as a pilot, I would definitely look into that. You can get it through the AOPA. Um, and I think that's, Aircraft Operators and Pilots Association. So most of your life insurance through your employer or private, I'm sorry for this, but or privately only covers you if you are killed as a fair paying passenger on a commercial airline. They don't cover you if you are paragliding, paramotoring, skydiving, hang gliding, any of those things. So just look at your uh, policies and make sure that you're covered. You know, if I just don't want you thinking that you're covered when you're not, that's all. Just be aware of that. So enough with the heavy. I want to hear about the history of the Michigan flight. I know that was kind of between Terry and Mike in the beginning, but I would just like to hear, you know, about Roger, Ed, Stefan, you know, tell me more about that. Yeah. So uh, back in 2005, I mean, what, what were people 
flying back in 2005? I don't know. I think I saw a picture of a DK Whisper on one of the uh, pictures that I saw on their on their flight. But yeah, uh, Stefan Obenauer and uh, Roger Alford and Ed Mannion, um, supported by um, Bill Melosi and a few others, um, set out to do this particular one. So going from lake to lake is uh, something that they were thinking about. And two of them, Stefan and uh, Roger, successfully crossed from an airport on the east side of the state, uh, I think it was Custer Airport, all the way to Holland. Uh, what they hadn't done at that time, and it was no fault of their own, they just weren't you know, too worried about it, was they didn't actually go water to water. And it left an opening where I think some uh, 15 years later, uh, nearly, 13 years later, uh, there was still an opening. Oh, we could we could do something a little bit more. Here's a picture. Uh, let's see, it's not shared yet. Let me get that shared. So we don't want to share our own video. We're showing this picture right here, which is a picture of Roger. Make uh, is everyone seeing that? Yeah. No. Roger coming across the uh, the western uh, coastline, and I think we've got another picture here. No, it's not that one. This one of their team back in 2005. And I mean, if you just think about what year we had 13 years ago, most of us got into the sport in the last inside of the last 13 years. And like I say, I think I think I saw like a DK whisper in one of the pictures that they were that they were doing. So it's uh, it's pretty incredible uh, what they set out to do, even just in the time that I've been flying. I know that wings have gotten so much easier to launch. And uh, so there we've got uh, Roger Alford and Stefan and Ed and Bill at the uh, western terminus of their of their flight. Um, and, but again, they, they, they launched from Custer. They didn't actually launch from uh, the lake on the east side. And so it sort of left an opening. And I guess maybe that kind of, points over to, I know Terry and, and Mike Cotter were, were the ones really talking about this. Um, I know Jack Rathburn and I were very interested in it as well and, and fortunate to be invited. But uh, I guess over to Terry for, yeah, what were those initial discussions like? And were you guys aware at the time of the 2005 effort? Uh, no, we had no idea of that. Uh, I'm pretty sure Mike didn't either. We just thought it'd be pretty cool to take a trip across Michigan. You know, you look at the stayed on map and it's a very very achievable event um so we just started you know measuring it out and uh, tried to go i'm one of those guys if i want to go coast to coast i'll go an extra two miles just to hit the coast and uh, yeah we just you know started talking about it started mapping it out and realizing that it was actually very achievable so then we uh i think he asked gene because i hadn't met you at that point and jack to join us and uh, it just cascaded from there and then again you know going back to PPG grill finding that person to drive the ground vehicle is the hardest part <laughs> and uh, we just tried to find that person and try and find a week where it would all work with all of us and uh, we very luckily all picked a Saturday and the weather happened to be good that Saturday uh, other than it was bright and sunny and not it's overcast as we were hoping it turned out very well so we were fortunate there but yeah i know to 
have to be afraid when I get a picture like this from Mike Cotter. I know he's planning something. There's always uh, some all these dots going across the state. It's happened on two occasions now, so you know, yeah, fear. We tried to we tried to find basically the widest point, you know, because there's obviously a much shorter route up there that would only be about three stops. So we just tried to make it as long as we could. Yeah, and so it really turned it. Terry, what can you say about the direction? Because, I mean, obviously prevailing winds are from uh, the west, so it makes it probable that, at least in Michigan, we're going to be going from, from west to east. But what were you guys talking about with relation to that? Yeah, we were really we were all ready to go either way, you know. So we were going to go from east to west or west to east, whatever the wind was doing at the time. And, you know, for kind of a trip like this, you really have to be either flexible on the direction you're going to go or when you're going to go. So a lot of times we try to just say, hey, we're going to do it sometime this week. And then we just watch the weather. Whenever the weather cooperates, that's your chance. Even when we did the south to north trip, we, uh, you know, it's the same trip, but we basically planned it backwards as well in case uh, we had a north to south wind. So just make sure you're staying flexible either the day you go or the direction you go yeah that's a good live around there sorry what's that nicole no, none of you guys live around there like everybody had to travel to uh, one location it's not like somebody lived there well we all live uh yeah in different spots in michigan so i'm kind of on the west side i think gene's southeast mike's from yep. the east and i think jack's kind of southeast as well so we all live pretty much on that map you're seeing right now and okay. we all met in the center at Fly My PPG, which is a good location. And okay. then we, uh, that particular day, the wind was coming from the west. So we all drove to the west coast, spent the night in a hotel. That way we could be basically ready to fly at sunrise. Right. And, uh, try and get that nice air. So as we're looking at this map, um, and obviously we, we talked about it as a group in the in the day or two before, but I'm, I'm right in my mind, I'm going back to Mike and Terry, some of the early discussions. What were you guys thinking as you looked at this map across the state? I guess we could talk later about some of the things that we talked about in the days leading up to it, but what were some of the initial thoughts that the two of you were having as we were staring at this at this map in front of us? I. You know, I, I don't know, we were just, uh, it, was, it was very achievable, we thought. Really, we didn't see many problems with it, other than you just couldn't go in a dead straight line. But uh, that was very easy to overcome. So um, we just found a few airports where we could avoid, you know, if you can see on the left, is, I think we're zooming in now, is Grand Rapids Airport. So we had to make sure we were, we actually went underneath their outer shelf, and um, which is like 2,000 feet, I think it was. Yeah, yep. and then Fly My PPG is kind of right above the Lansing airspace, which is the next big one to the right, which is also underneath their outer shelf. So we had to stay under, I think it was 2,000 feet again there. That's 2,100, yep. Yeah. And, uh, you know, for the most part, it was a pretty straight line. And then Flint was kind of a troublesome area for us just because there wasn't a lot of airports that we could really find or good places to go so we had a couple high schools marked out um, we had a couple airports but they were really just not on the way so we, uh, Mike and I ended up doing an airport on the north end of Flint and I believe 
Gene, you went to the south, didn't you, to complete your trip? I ended up going south of Flint, yeah, but I, just for the sake of the viewers, you what, what Terry is describing here is we've got three major airports, each with a, a two-tier layer cake, if you will, of airspace. So for those who aren't familiar with the, with the airspace of these uh, Class C airports, the markings here, if it's showing up, we'll try to make the screen stop uh, on the chart. S, is my cursor showing up, Nicole? Yes. Yes, it is. SFC to 4800 is surface to 4800 uh, MSL for the center ring. So, you know, if you live anywhere near Grand Rapids, you might be surprised to know that the airspace over a bunch of Grand Rapids actually belongs to Gerald Ford International Airport. The first center ring is from the surface up to 4800. And then this outer ring, like an upside down wedding cake, is from 2000 feet. MSL up to 4,800, and of course, if the ground is at uh, you know 800 or 1,000 feet, that only gives you a thousand foot window above the ground to fly in. So it sort of narrows your options. But coming from Holland, you're pretty much going to come underneath that shelf unless you go way south. And so the route that was planned out um, would go under that outer shelf and then up to Forest Hills 3F5 right here on the right side, which is where, where FlyMy is. So while, uh, while doable, yeah, three major airspaces, all of which are pretty much in a straight line between the west side of the state here where my cursor is and the right side of the state where the target was. Uh, so uh, re really interesting from a flight planning perspective as to how that uh, as to how that would work out and i think that last week um i forgive me if i got this wrong that anthony was asking about uh doing a basic you know reading of the sky vector map i we are going to do that we're it's just not going to be in this episode beyond what what we need to cover as far as planning for this flight but yes anthony we are going to do that um, and there's a lot of other good videos out there on YouTube. You know, I spent a lot of time looking at those even after I went to school just to make sure I was really understanding them right. On YouTube, there's a lot of good videos on that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and Anthony was also asking, hold on just a second, um, yeah. what the distance is to be considered cross-country. And so my thoughts are is that anytime that you are taking off and landing in two different locations, that's cross country to me. I mean, if it's five miles, then it's five miles, but you know, then you've got long distance cross countries. I mean, what's your take on that? I think kind of, I agree with you. Like we talked last week is everyone calls just a long trip across country. And I don't know what the official definition is, but to me, it's if you take off at one place and land at another, you kind of did a cross country, whether it's two miles, 20 miles or 200 miles. If you take off at one airport and do 30 mile loop and come back to the same airport, I, I don't know. To me, that's just a, a nice long flight. Yeah, agreed. Uh, agreed. Yeah, I would agree I with you. Lights, I do lots of nice long flights, you know, 40 miles, but I'm yeah. still, you know, just basically making a loop or whatever. Um, you mentioned. One of the things I've noticed, Nicole, is a lot of pilots, whether they're PPG or anything else, it's when, when you actually touch down somewhere else there's a level of commitment that doesn't get involved when you fly over. So I like your definition. 
because when you actually think about, okay, I've never landed at this place before, there is a level of commitment that you're making. Uh, you know, am I going to take off again? What logistics do I have in place to get back? Uh, so I think there's something to it. Well, especially if it's not a windsock or anything, you know, like if like uh, Dave flew to Lowe's, you know, and there was a flag, a U.S. flag in the distance and he was watching the wind coming off the trees. But still, I mean, there's not a windsock, you know, that you are watching for that you are you're used to you know that if it's at a 45 degree angle that means that it's this miles per hour and if it's straight out it's this miles per hour so i agree gene 100 that's that's a level of commitment and and dave obviously nailed it you should go watch that video it's a two-part video and i loved it so thank you dave terrain is very hard sorry dave i was just going to say that sometimes terrain is very hard to judge from altitude, uh, grass looks like it's low until you land in it, and there are bumps and things you don't see. Yeah, that's actually what I was going to come to that is a lot of times as you're doing your flyover, you know, don't be embarrassed to do two or three because, as Rick said, you you can break your ankle real fast. And I did have an American flag, uh, you know, a little bit off in the distance. Just because that American flag's blowing one way does not mean it's going to be blowing the same direction up a little corridor uh, as well. So it uh, it gets spicy and exciting real fast. Such yeah, a great. You got dropped too on your way back, right? Yeah, yeah, I got dropped pretty good. Actually, I had a uh, a small frontal taken off into the wind coming out of lows and turning back, uh, going to downwind. Uh, my tip collapsed, and then I think the front of my wing uh, did a uh, slight frontal. You can see it in my knees. By the time I looked up, the the wing was corrected. But you watch the video. I start going into an accelerated left turn and then get dropped and then come out of it. Uh, and what I had done is shifted over to right and just added uh, just a little bit of right pressure um, and left came back. That left brake was dead for just a millisecond. Yeah, which is always scary. Oh, um, yeah, especially when you're about 150 feet over the ground. <laughs> for sure. That doesn't give you a whole lot of time. Um, so John was asking, you mentioned that you were looking, Terry, you mentioned you were looking at alternate places to land because there wasn't enough airports and you mentioned schools. Was there anything that you had to worry about as far as landing and taking off at a school? Did you have to get permission? Anything like that? So I'm probably not the expert to ask that question. I feel that if they're all, uh, we're all taxpayers and we have that, I would assume the right to fly from them. I've talked to a couple of them and they've had no problems with it. Another guy I fly without a here, talked to his local school and they have no problem with it. Um, we definitely try not to use them on an ongoing basis, but um, for a trip like this, we felt we'd be okay if we just landed out in their soccer fields or whatnot, refueled, turned back around and, and got out of there. You know, we're usually, pretty aware of loitering and we try not to stay in the area at all. You launch and, and you leave. There's no need to buzz around the airports. There's no need to buzz around the schools, things like that. So legally, I'm not sure you, but you ought to really be calling these schools if you definitely plan on landing there and taking off. Mm -hmm. but they've all been very open for the ones that I know about. I personally tend to err on the side of, um, um, beg for forgiveness instead of asking for permission. You know, usually you're in and out of there before anybody knows any better. So, 
Yeah, and I hate to say it, but I, I agree with them, especially if you're only doing it once. You know, if you're going to go out and try and fly out of there every week, then you ought to have that conversation, and uh, it probably will go well. But if you're just in and out of there once, and it's a public school, not a private school, things like that, then you'll probably be okay. This is the part of the of the state where that question really came up. Um, if we're looking for little little red circles, there aren't a lot in the middle of this area. And I know this was a was a big challenge for planning across because coming by Dupont Lapeer there in the middle, not a lot of options. And then you realize there's a lot of land under you, but uh, not a lot of friendly places to land and makes you look for your options. Yeah, and going back to uh, you guys are talking about landing at different airports, you know, that's kind of your first step if you want to get into this is just go somewhere else and land at another airport and take back off. Because even though they have a windsock, that windsock set up for airplanes, it doesn't even move when we're flying. If it's, yeah. you know, three miles an hour, that windsock could be pointing 180 degrees in the other direction. It's just a, it's a different feeling going into a totally different airport that maybe you've never been to on the ground and trying to make those decisions as you're flying over it and uh, land and then kind of reset back up and take off again and fly home. It seems pretty small and it is a small achievement, but it's, it's eye-opening. You learn and uh, it's a great first or second step. Yeah, it preps you for, for a bigger one, and pretty soon you start uh, yeah. desiring the longer and bigger and, and more stops, and yeah, it's it'll get your adrenaline going the first time. You know, we're talking about asking for permission. This would be a good point to talk in the planning part about a contact. I believe Mike made the contact. Is that right, Terry, for Walt, uh, Walt RC Park? Yeah, he, re he reached out to them. I had another... Uh, facility kind of picked out but we had found out that there was soccer games going on that day so we were scrambling to try to find other lz's and he found that place and uh, i'll show you this real quick is this is kind of what i do and i know mike does it too on, on google maps is under here under your places under saved you can have all these different you know list so i have one of just all the lz's i know about in michigan and then so for this one you just click west to east and it populates basically all the spots that we thought we might need and um so you can see we started at holland we flew west to the coast and then we went up over holland underneath grand rapids and then we were hoping to go here to this cowplex which was had some soccer games going on so then mike found this place uh just an awesome place, Walters RC Park. And to reach out to the guides, it's definitely a privately owned facility. It's a remote control airplane. So we made sure to make contact with him and he turned out to just be an amazing guy. And he was all about it, real excited for us to go there. So kind of on that as well as once I have this figured out, this is kind of what I do is I'll just, you can usually even on your, on your phone, just right click or whatever and go to measure distance. And then you can measure. So right there, you got 2.4 miles. And I figured you'd go up the coast a little bit, come back here. And I think right in here, there was a spot to sneak through where you're not going to go through oh, a congested right area. Yeah. Now, I can't remember. I think we went up over Zealand. Yeah, it's either then, over uh, yep. Down here and then right under Byron Center, we snuck through one of the main highways here to Caledonia. And this is the major airport, but we were still clear. Then we zoomed in here. 
So then at that point, you can see on the bottom of the screen, I don't think I can make it larger, that's 55 miles. So at that point, you know that this loop you're looking at is going to be about 55 miles. So that's where you got to have some past history and just start doing some some trips, you know. So start at your home base, wherever it may be, fly up here and back and see, say, okay, I can go 50 miles easy upwind and downwind. And when you're doing these trips, they're usually always downwind, so you should be able to crush those distances that you already know you can make. And, Terry, uh, that's kind of how I started. Yeah, that's I, I seem to recall Mike mentioning that you had actually back flown one of the legs. None of us flew any of the legs except it. Didn't you fly a section of one as sort of a pre-check for us? I did. I just, I randomly had a good day to do it. We had an east to west wind. So I had my buddy take off or um, I, I left here and I had my buddy drive my truck out to Holland. So then I flew from my home down along this route and back. And uh, the only thing I, I really learned is uh, it was cold. We were doing this, I forget now, but it was like October probably. It was, it was cold, so we definitely wore our layers. But uh, I think at that point, that was my longest trip, and it was ended up being, I think, just under 50 miles, something like that, that I logged in. It was a good eye-opener. That was, uh, I think that was my first or second, what I consider a true cross-country, kind of A to B. That's pretty cool. You know, we had we had down to talk about uh, what we what we had brought. I know we talked uh, briefly uh, last time about some of the gear that we like, but what did you bring on this trip, Terry? I can I can rec recall mine, but what what did you bring? Um, I think all I had really was that flight deck again with my phone on it, and uh, I did bring that little GPS, that Bluetooth GPS device, but I, didn't, I don't think I really needed it. We didn't we didn't fly up real high on that trip. We were probably 2,000 feet or under that whole trip because we were underneath three different shelves. Yeah. Really, all, all you really needed was that. And, I, and I mean, I do carry, like, I, I carry, we were, I guess we were talking about that the other day where Nicole asked what tools we carry, and I don't carry tools per se if I have a chase vehicle, but I do carry a med pack. I just kind of made my own, and I stick that, and basically it's as big as my Air Conception's little pocket, so I have to, like, cram it in there, but if, somebody else goes down or I go down, at least I got something with me until somebody else gets there. And then I have a little, uh, I don't know, it's like a little camp pouch that I permanently zip tied to the back of my air conceptions. And it's just got like paracord, flashlight, compass, just some lightweight emergency stuff, a couple off wipes for the bugs. And then I also have a, uh, a stuff sack kind of permanently zip tied on the back there that I just never take off and I've had to use that uh, twice now where I've landed out and uh, had to pull the stuff sack out so it's definitely pretty handy yeah so, I think I'll oh, go ahead Nicole Tony was asking if anybody carries a flare gun and I don't not in Michigan we're close to civilization so we don't really need it here yeah, we don't we don't hear either. I think that pretty much everywhere that we have in Florida, unless you're down in the Everglades, you're going to have cell phone signal. I mean, so hopefully your cell phone's not dead. And then, um, but you could ch carry, you know, like an extra battery pack and then you know an extra charger just in case it it went dead. But on those that Google Maps thing, I had not tried that, so I am 
I'm loving that, by the way. But then yeah, it's really nice. Your app. Well, real quick, yeah, real quick before you go on, I guess um, I do carry an extra battery for my cell phone, and also I, I'm kind of a little paranoid sometimes. So we printed out phone lists. So if you go down, have been spit in the water, or you break your phone, you know, I don't know about you guys, but I don't know these guys' phone numbers by heart. So before we left, we basically just all wrote our phone numbers down five times, passed them out to each other, and then, uh, you know, thankfully we never have to use it. But if you do, at least you can contact somebody. No, that's good. That's yeah, really that was good. great. I just found that list in my uh, in my pocket, uh, my seat pocket, uh, the other day. I was air <laughs> motor, and I found that list from that trip. It was a nice reminder that it was there. While I'm talking, the picture of uh, Terry and Mike passing Grand Rapids to the south and east is is up on my screen. Yeah, I think my gear is, is pretty similar. I fly a home built. Um, I basically just have my phone, usually too many GoPros if I'm doing something like this. And uh, as I said last week, uh, didn't bring enough gloves for the later legs, but pretty simple, pretty pared down. I had uh, I had upgraded my, my tank to a legal limit five gallon tank before the flight, which proved important later on. But I think I brought 10, gallons of few mixed fuel in the support trailer how much did you bring terry it was about the same uh, we had 10 gallon tanks and then we filled up halfway through and we had a bunch extra yeah i think i'm i may still be flying off the uh the fuel that flight oh, well. did any fly with bladders or considered flying with bladders not at that time gene had a five gallon tank so he was the only one who could make that last push because mike Mike and I wouldn't have enough time to land, refuel, and go. Um, and we didn't want to take off quite that early. So now I got my rig set up. I just made my um, first full test flight of my uh, bladder system. So now I can carry five gallons of gas on my Nitro 200 with a bladder. And it works out pretty well. It's a little uh, clunky, a little interesting, but it, it works out. And it's pretty easy. I'm sorry. You, that's, that's too heavy. <laughs> it's not. It's not too bad. Like it's close to your chest, so it. Um, I don't know. It's not as bad as I as I thought. Can you pretty well empty that bladder so you're not left with a lot of uh, empty uh, excess fuel in the bottom? Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. That's really cool. I one thing that we had down to uh, to chat about was. Um, it's funny. I don't think we talked about it as much as, as maybe one could, but everyone always has seemed on the same page is sort of ground rules. What ifs expectations. We talked a little bit about that last week in terms of, you know, being roughly on the same page with the people you're flying with or doing chase crew with. But uh, what was your thinking about that, Terry, uh, in terms of this trip that we did? What, what, what was our team's understanding for this? I mean, we, we were, again, lucky to have a support crew. So if somebody went down, the other two guys were just going to keep flying. You know, make sure that, circle around it, drop a Google pin, just kind of make sure the, the ground crew truly knows where they are, and then we were going to keep moving, which is nice. And then we'd hit the next LZ, and we'd obviously have to sit and wait for them to pick that person up and keep moving. Um, so that worked out really well. And luckily, we didn't have that issue. And for the most part, we just stay together. You're within visual sight of everybody. Um, near the beginning, we had an issue. Gene was kind of a little ways away from us, and 
Mike and I were just kind of burning circles in the sky, and at some point we just had to call it, and, and we started moving on. And I got some texts out. We knew Gene was in the air, and we knew he was making progress. We just couldn't see him. So as soon as we found out he was good and making progress, Mike and I kept moving towards the LZ. And we were glad because when we landed, Mike had virtually no fuel left. <laughs> that was right before this picture was taken. This We were all pretty well synced up at this point. This was taking off from uh, from Walter RC Park after the first after the first leg. It does seem to be something that the paramotor community is pretty good at is leaving each pilot to their own craft and not over worrying for each other, but being there for each other. I was thinking of Rick's uh, poker uh, flight. You had a couple folks drop out and that was okay. And you had ways of knowing that they were okay and didn't change other people's plans. And that seems to be how most communities roll. So that was yeah, kind of cool. I I don't know. I like I like if you're in a group, you know, you stay in the group and everybody makes sure that everybody knows like hey, if you're going to land out, tell people that you are going to land out or that you did yeah. land out, you know, so that nobody's worrying about you. And being willing to fly to the slowest pilot, I guess. Yeah. I I like that idea. And that's what we do too, whoever's the slowest pilot. I think on that trip, I was uh, the slowest pilot, not by a whole lot, but I definitely was. So they just kind of idled back or uh, went ahead a little bit, circled back around. And, you know, when we're doing our normal flights, shit, I've had four engine outs, I think. People I've been flying with have had at least four or five. On those flights, usually you see right where they go down, and we just head back and grab our cars. You know, the flight's over, but whatever. You know, you got to go get your buddy and uh, – you know, it's not that big a deal because it will be you eventually. <laughs> so you should be more than willing to uh, go get them because, you know, I've been in that place. I've had many motor outs with my nitro and uh, somebody fortunately was always there to come pick me up. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That's a so, really good point between XCs and general flying because there can be that get there itis when everyone's got some particular goal in mind as opposed to just cruising. So that's a great uh, great distinction to make. Yeah, absolutely. Was there anything that you didn't discuss prior to the flight that you wish that you would have like a, like something that you realized later that, man, we should have talked about this. I don't I think so. Which is kind of funny because there's a million things you could talk about. And I think it's often surprised me just how much people are, are supportive of each other. And then, you know, something comes up and it's there's not usually a lot of disagreement as to what we as a team are going to do next. So that's been really cool about this community. And usually, you know, who you're flying with or at least your buddy knows them and you're all competent pilots. And, you know, maybe if you can't see them, you know, they're following right behind you or, or whatever it may be. And you don't have to worry too much, but definitely know the people you're flying with. So, so Terry, I gotta, I gotta ask this. So, um, before we, before we tell them about the trip um, and how it actually panned out, uh, I think people would be interested if we did a little what if, like, what if we did this trip this week? Let's go do this trip this week, and let's just take a look at the weather for this week. You want to do it? Uh, sure. So, okay, I, I did. 
week. We're going to try to do this trip this week. Here we go. We're going to we're going to look at the weather for this week and, and see what happens. Can we do it this week? Probably not. We're probably going to be sitting sitting somewhere. If I we're love doing that. this, I'm on my way. That minion, it's amazing. I love it. Is this the part of the show where we put funny things on while Terry brings that up? No, not yet. <laughs> oh, you know, if you want to start it, if you want to start it, man, you know, Rick and I can oblige. All I have is sunglasses. So, you know, what I would do is, there goes again, I, I start out at the NOAA website whenever I am doing this. So what I did is, um, and actually that one doesn't matter. So you start out at, uh, let's get, it's got screwed up. So then again, just zoom out of the map. And then we're going to pick Holland because that's where we started out at. So you just click Holland. Bam, there's your weather. So you can look, you know, obviously you want to look out for thunderstorms right off the bat. So you realize Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday is probably your only shot. And um, you got to go down. I go down to the weather, hourly weather if it's close. So, you know, Monday and Tuesday is probably shot because you got, sorry, I'll uh, zoom in here. So this is the wind speed again. So you can see the graph at 7 a.m. to 10 a.m., 1 p.m. And then it also shows gusts up here. So, you know, in my mind, both of these days are shot. I'm not looking at flying on those days. So I can go forward two more days. So what is it that is making you think that those two days are not good? Uh, just the wind gusts. You know, so the wind gusts are, I th usually when they show them up there, they're about double of the wind speed. So not to say that can't change and, you know, by seven o'clock at night, it might be fine, but we're definitely not going to fly all day through that, or at least I'm not going to fly all day through that. There's plenty of other days in the year where we can get out there and do this. So, so what are you looking for though? What, what is your max gust speed? Uh, I, I don't have a max gust speed. I know the kind of rule of thumb is twice the wind speed is getting pretty dangerous so you try and stay under that at least that's how i kind of do it um and you got to get gusts from all different websites because every website you go to is going to tell you something different so it's kind of a so like under 10 8 well it's so like if they, well but if the wind speed is eight then technically you could maybe take gusts up to 15. If the wind speed is two, then you would want gusts stay under like four or five miles an hour, even though that probably doesn't happen. But, um, you know, so the higher your normal wind speed is, the higher the gusts you can take. You know, so I think the rule of thumb, and somebody correct me if I'm wrong here, but it's like twice, twice the wind speed. So if it's five mile an hour wind speed, you should not have gusts over 10 miles an hour because that's where you can start taking collapses and just put yourself in a bad spot. For myself, I'm, I'm usually focused on just what the absolute gust is and whether or not the gust goes over, you know, roughly 13, 15, something, something in that range. But for me, it's more of like a five. I don't really want to fly if the gusts are more than about five miles an hour, um, not putting me over maybe 15 total. Um, like, I, like I said last week, the, the most I've ever willingly launched in Inland was about 12 miles an hour. And, and that's kind of what I was thinking. Typically, I follow the uh, the paragliding uh, 
levels, you know, the P2, P3, P4, they, they write it out very, very well as far as max gust speeds, uh, components, uh, wind uh, components, stuff like that. So that's what, that's what I tend to follow, and uh, it works out pretty well with the motor. This website that we talked a little bit about last week, and again, it's not an official website, but they all draw their, their weather from similar sources. Wind mapper, um, if we're looking here at Monday, average speed coming down the left side. Well, maybe I could fly some of that, but the gust is ridiculous. And they even go to the length of starting to mark some things at higher speeds with some more threatening colors, not to mention the level of rain and precipitation on Monday. So we get down to Tuesday, things start to calm down. Wednesday, the gust deltas are, you know, three miles an hour here at, uh, at eight o'clock and starting to look like a pretty tame day. And then Thursday this week, like Terry was pointing out, it's starting to look, uh, look pretty good. Uh, I guess with one exception, if we're going west to east, we're going to be disappointed, Terry. Yeah. So Thursday we could maybe entertain just like uh, the 2005 crew did. Maybe we could actually entertain an east to west flight. So then we come back over here, and this was Holland that we just did. So maybe we'll take a look at Port Huron. Okay, What's so you guys are looking at several places, right? So I usually look at one weather forecast for every stop you're going to make, basically. Okay. Yep. And we'd probably, if a trip like this again, we'd probably want to look at Lansing as well because the weather can be completely different across the state. Here, Wednesday doesn't look quite as nice on the east side of the state. And again, these are still long-range forecasts, but still worth checking. Um, it does look pretty good both sides of the state this coming Thursday, but you'll notice that it's north northeast winds. So if we were to take off uh, from the east side of the state, we'd have to understand that we weren't going to get much of a tailwind at the beginning of the day. But by the time we made it to the west side of the state, we could certainly hope for a nice seven or eight mile an hour tailwind. That is, if somewhere in the middle of the state, like Lansing, Michigan, doesn't look particularly threatening. Let's see what that shows up as. Tuesday, not good. Wednesday, starting to calm down. Thursday. Yeah, you see the winds are starting to, uh, to become easterly by the time we get about halfway across the state to Lansing. So if we were to look back at Sky Vector, we would see that the winds on the east side of the state were mostly from the north. The wind, so they're mostly coming down on this side. They're starting to become coming out of the east about the middle of the state. And they're pretty fully east by the west side of the state. So actually, Thursday is uh, Thursday's looking pretty good uh, for a, at least this kind of range, Terry. Are we gonna gonna do it again? <laughs> sure. I'm on my way. I am on my <laughs> All way. Gene, let me ask you a question because you're up there in Michigan and it gets pretty cold. You know, it, it, do you like uh, call it quits at a certain cold degree temperature? Because I know like people like my friend Rick Davies here. He won't fly if it's less than you know if, if it's less than 80 degrees out. It's too cold for him. So what's too cold for you to do a, a long distance trip like this? I really like your mustache. Does that give you like an extra two degrees of warmth? Is that how that works? Well, this apparently this is the only way to make trikes sexy is to have a ridiculously thick mustache like this. So that's why I'm wearing it. I love it. 
I don't have any limits. It's kind of funny. The uh, CFI that I that I learned to fly powered parachute from for Sport Pilot, he pretty much had a rule that if he couldn't fly in shorts, he wasn't going to fly, and you weren't either. Well, I think so, Rick heard the same rule, apparently. Yeah, that's pretty much what that, what pretty much what he's got. So, <laughs> no, I I'm I'm become a bit of a fair weather flyer, but I'm still wearing uh you know covered padded overalls, not a padded jacket. That's different, uh, but padded overalls for the. Uh, for the uh, flight of in September, October. Yeah, I hear it was that. Probably about 50 uh, degrees when we went. I hear that PPG Gorilla, once it gets down about uh, 81 degrees, starts getting real cold. Oh, my. Yeah. Yeah, I can't handle that cold weather. I'm not down for it. Hey, one question. When you guys are planning those um, trips, are you looking at winds aloft? I, I've had a few cross country flights where I found that at a certain altitude, I had. Um, more of a tailwind to my advantage and, and use that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, we, I, I look at that a lot. I know, uh, let's see if I, uh, and if you're, I uh, pull up windy a lot, then um, that's where I'll get the winds aloft. And you get a lot better. Sorry, here, I can't, apparently can't talk in the uh, computer at the same time. So when you look at windy, you can look at the whole state view again. So you can, instead of looking at five different forecasts, you know, you can kind of see what the wind's doing through the whole state. So if you were going, say, right now, it wouldn't be horrible. You're going to fight a little crosswind on the west side, and then all of a sudden you're going to pick up a nice, you know, west wind coming all the way over here. But then, so once you're getting in here, and again, I usually always go to the NAM. It only gives you a three-day forecast. You can use a slider on on the bottom right you just kind of keep sliding through the days and you can see how the wind changes and then over on the right and even on your phones does this too you take the surface you can go up to a thousand feet you can go up to 2500 feet and uh, just basically watch the wind change and you can see what direction it's going the wind gusts and at different altitudes i think my computer is a little slow so it takes a minute to refresh and uh, just keep dropping the altitudes down because you definitely got to look at different altitudes at every one of these places that you're going to fly because you can see here it might be good on the west side of the state, but on the east side, that's looking dangerous. You know, you put a. And I'll you tell you that down you know, 27 miles an hour. That really works. I took your suggestion with the uh, Ryan Carlton and uh, the wind mapper uh, two days ago. And took a look at what you're showing right here with the altitudes, uh, and wrote it down on a piece of paper, and then went up uh, to to see, you know, are they right? Are they close? And uh, yeah, you can definitely feel it. Um, and what was interesting is at one altitude, the the wind was a lower level, and then as you climb, it was higher, and then as you climb above that, it got lower again, but from a different uh, a different direction. So it was really neat to to actually feel it and see it. Yeah, you'll see that a lot when uh, the winds change. You know, it can be 180 degrees sometimes at different altitudes. Yeah, that's what'll bite you. <laughs> yeah, we're just showing Ryan, Ryan Carlton on the screen right here for those this week who didn't hear about it last week, but that's a great one for day of planning. And of course, balloonists, uh, they used to call this balloonist wind forecast. They've still got the logo because they actually use that to their advantage to find which way they're going to go and how fast. So pretty cool uh, tool. Well, I'm with Rick. I don't fly if it's under 50. 
I like your hat. Stay in Florida, then. <laughs> I guess I actually have heated gloves, and it was down in the '60s um, this fall, and I wore them. They were they were nice. That's that's t-shirt weather, Rick. Yeah. I don't have heated gloves, just so you know. Too rich for my blood. Yeah, I used to fly without the heated gloves, and you would land and just you start cringing and crying because your arms just felt like they were about to fall off. And then once I started using good heated gloves, Brandon gave well, Brandon sold me his old uh, heated gloves, and it was uh, just incredibly comfortable. Uh, yeah, you put five layers on, but you're flying and you're enjoying it. It doesn't really feel that cold when you're up there, right, Dave? Hey, Dave, wait until uh, you put five layers on and try to foot launch for the first time. Yeah, I don't think that will probably happen. Well, maybe it will. <laughs> it's it's an adventure i don't know how do you move your legs in front of each other that much actually later? it's not even so much that it's uh, I've, I've got a pair of heated gloves and, and regular gloves the first time i ever used my heated gloves foot launching your tactile feel with your brakes and your throttle and everything yeah. completely oh it's different. horrible yeah yeah oh freak it, yeah uh, right yeah it really does it uh it gets really interesting and right on takeoff, when you need to feel that throttle and everything, and it's just not there for you. Yeah. And the A-lines, too. Uh, the A's yep. hooked around the thumbs come off differently. And yeah, it, just, it does some weird stuff. Pops. So I think we talked through a lot of the planning uh, here. I don't know. If we, maybe we can uh, talk through just a little bit about that particular uh, flight in the last little bit of time that we've got. Uh, unless there's other planning things, Terry, that you can think of. No, I think that's good. Just have a good list of all the airports available or at least emergency LZs that you can so you can uh, access those mid-flight if you need to. Actually, quick question. quick question. I, I know you guys are focusing a lot on the airports, and as you just uh, mentioned with the uh, you know the other outs, you know fields and stuff like that, when you're looking at Google, at least I, I know how I do it, but maybe for our listeners, when you're looking at Google Maps and going to the satellite view and you start looking for other outs, other fields, uh, gas stations on the on the side of the road, uh, truck stops are, are a, a great resource uh, that I've found when I'm traveling and go fly, um, and also uh, rest stops as well. What are you guys looking for as far as for... Uh, Runway links, uh, power lines. I mean, tell us how, you know, when you're looking at this picture, what are you guys looking for? Um, because, you know, obviously the satellite's not going to show everything, but maybe you can give our listeners a little secret of, you know, hey, there's a shadow over there. Maybe we should investigate type stuff. Yeah, I got a story about that from uh, from last year, not this trip, but we were camping uh, as a family and I brought my paramotor along and had it in the trailer and uh, thought, oh, I'm going to find a place in this little town where we are. And I'm going to find a place to take off. And I found sort of a, oh, there was a park back there. And there was a, there was actually a police station right on one corner of the parking lot. And there was a, uh, like a strip mall. So it was pretty much strip mall, park, and police station. I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to take off here. There's no reason I can't. Seemed like enough room. Of course, it was the, uh, you know, middle of August in a, one of those beautiful Michigan summery uh sweltery days and um that I was one of the hear it oh yeah i guess I, I can't hold a candle to florida but uh <laughs> yeah but uh yeah i think if i tried doing what i did in florida i would not have made it and the three intersecting power lines that uh, stood rather tall and crossed about 15 or 20 feet under my feet 
I probably would have been in if I'd been in Florida or North Carolina or anything like that. So to your point, um, yeah, you if you haven't flown out of that field before and you think you know what you're doing, think twice because it'll it'll come up and bite you. Yeah, real quick. Um, I know in the aviation world, and it, it's been a long time since I've, I've flown civil aircraft, but as I remember, grass fields add 15%. Now, add uh, humidity, add 15% to your to your runway distances. I don't know if that equates into our paramotors, but down here in Texas, where you know it's it's 95 degrees with 80% humidity, I I definitely notice in the summertime my takeoff runs are a lot longer than they are in the wintertime. Um, oh yeah, and Absolutely. like you said, all of a sudden that power line's coming up, and you don't got room to do a, a 90 hook turn or a one climbing 180. You are in a world of hurt quick. Yeah. And I think a lot of us just wouldn't necessarily, especially if we're newer in it, we wouldn't feel comfortable doing a hook turn at, you know, 50 feet above the ground. Uh, we know that that can get us in trouble. And so you're left to sort of hold that throttle and pray your engine doesn't quit, which, as Terry pointed out, is not a real great bet. So something or you to be a trike. Right, Rick? Was it one of you guys that last week said something to the effect of uh, somebody was approaching you with a, a runway question and they said, well, it's I, I'm already committed to the takeoff well before I ever start running? Yeah, there was a conversation on Facebook and, and somebody was saying, well, I've, my home runway is, uh, you know, I got a field at my house or whatever, and I've only got this much room. And on a good day, I have to commit 100 percent to the launch. Uh, so I need it to be really efficient and and in our discussion in my mind i was like if you're committed on a good day then you haven't even had a bad day yet this is a guaranteed uh yeah, you're screwed of hurt, pretty much yeah i uh real quick the field that i fly out actually interesting enough the one that's gonna be in the fly-in um it used to be when i first started flying there that coming into it it you know it looked like a little matchstick and now it amazes me you know two years later i get in and out of there and, and don't even use a fourth of it to get out and hook around i don't even really need to hook around but yeah to to what you said is if you're not sure take your max runway you know measure it guys you know when you're taking off go to the field that you're you're at and measure use google to measure that distance that it normally takes you to take off and then double and sometimes even triple that before you go to a new home field and start doing this until you get some experience exactly well and like what you said earlier about uh, even if you see a flag in the distance waving not only do you have to know what you can get into and get out of but the wind that you think you have, I remember a day in my first year of flying, I hadn't really learned about temperature inversions. And <laughs> I was going along and I come down and I drop probably you know below 50 feet and all of a sudden I'm, I'm power off gliding in for a landing and I can't get my feet down on the field. Unfortunately, it was just tall grass beyond it. But man, I must have gone 40, 50 feet into that tall grass. And it, you know, it was, you just don't expect that you're, glide ratio is going to change that dramatically when you get down low and it didn't oh, I'll you, yeah i'll tell you another one taking off with trees around you you know despite the the rotor factor on the trees which is usually 10 times the distance of, of the height of the object yeah we can get away with it you know it, it's a large field that has trees all around you take off and all of a sudden you just found yourself in a, in a world of sink and you're full throttle and you normally climb out at three four hundred feet a minute and you're only climbing out at 75 uh, that can start adding factor to the other side of the field. And a hook turn, forget it. You're not going to turn in that. Um, you're going to pile drive the ground. So, yeah, you really got to pay attention to what's going on. And that, that experience of getting down into fields and, and takeoffs and landings, and you know, that, that's where it yeah. off with what you, know, you guys are doing with what we do with the cross countries. 
And I had an engine out just a couple weeks ago uh, where the throttle cable linkage actually detached from the carburetor like right after takeoff. So, you know, out of my airport where I normally fly, I take off and I actually purposely swing over the swamp, which puts me parallel to the runway. And my always my thought was if I have an engine out, I can make a quick left turn and land right back on the runway. And um, it seems odd to me to be over the swamp, but, you know, I need to land somewhere and there's no landings in front of me. And sure enough, that's exactly what happened out of the blue. My throttle went to full blast. I had no power. And I banked hard, hard left, put me right back on the runway. As soon as I stopped penduluming from that, you know, hard left, I was into my final flare. And wow. I had, like, no, no time whatsoever in there. And I, I don't think a lot of people think of that when they're seeing places to take off. They're like, oh, well, I can get over those trees. Well, you probably can, but what happens if your engine dies 10 seconds into takeoff or 30 seconds into takeoff? There's nothing after those trees. You're not going to be able to do a 180 because you're looking at a narrow runway. I guess I go back to risk and reward, but um, it'd be a very last resort type of location for me. Yeah, no, exactly. Good stuff. One of the games I've... Uh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, uh, go, go ahead with your thing. We we're going to... Uh, Nicola noted there's a there is another question here, but when planning XCs, are you bringing extra oil and just land your gas stations? I think uh, I think we talked about that last week a little bit. Uh, all of us were most of us here aren't land and mix. Although, is is anyone here a, a land and mix kind of person? Solo, unsupported? Not yet. I'm not allowed to. Uh, yeah, 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 I've I've landed and filled up at a fuel station and then mixed right there. I'll generally measure my oil because I know how much fuel the tank's going to take, put it in there, and then just put the fuel up on top of it, which mixes it. That's awesome. That's awesome. No, and, and I think for, for these things that we've been talking about, that's not something that most of us have, have done. Terry, like you said, you're mostly rec fuel. Or you're, you're all rec fuel. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Do we want to use a little bit of time here to talk about the actual uh, flight on this particular one? We planned it. We, we're going to do it again on Thursday, apparently, and we've got guests coming in for well, that. We're going to do east to west. This it's going to be east to west this time. Yeah, it's got to be east to west. Indian wants to fly right here. Uh, he's ready. The wing's out. I mean, we're, we're ready to go. I, I definitely want a picture of a minion going cross state in Michigan. That would just be too awesome. It's even got kind of, oh, I don't want to start a school war because I don't even care. But we've even got kind of, oh, U of M colors going on there. Maize and blue there. Oh, but we don't want to say that, do we? No, that would be bad. <laughs> we so about I would like to hear about the uh, the flight, especially because you know best laid plans and all that. You know how it was different. What you had to think on the fly, hardy har har, pun intended. Ooh, yeah. So we started uh, at uh, met up at, at Flymy, right, uh, right, Terry, and then drove as a team over. Jack and his wife Heather drove us over to uh, to Holland, and we stayed at a little hotel there, which, oh, how far were we from the airport? A couple minutes. Yeah, it was very close. Um, and we got up, I want to say an hour, hour and a half before sunrise. We tried to basically be at the airport, you know, say 15 minutes before, uh, 15 minutes before, 30 minutes before sunrise. <laughs> so <laughs> basically we could take off and use our strobes as soon as possible. Yep. And we, um, everyone was, was doing pretty well. Everything was looking good. Uh, Jack had unfortunately been having some, uh, some engine trouble 
and it looked like he had successfully um, borrowed a, a motor, which then if I can get this uh, picture up, we actually all got off the ground. All four of us got off the ground. Um, unfortunately, uh, Jack was back on the ground within within about uh, five seconds. Uh, the motor let him down and wouldn't wouldn't really restart all day. So unfortunately, two motors let him down that day. Um, but uh, three of us did get aloft from Park Township Airport and then headed headed west. We hadn't really discussed where we were gonna go over the uh, water. Uh, Terry, I think you guys went uh, closer to the lighthouse, is that right? And then I went up closer to Tunnel Park? Uh, no, we tried to go straight west. We wanted to stay on the north side of Holland because that's where we had to exit as well. So we tried to head straight west and come back straight east, if not to the north side of it. And that's where Mike and I were kind of hanging out. And that's it was just, I think, dark enough. We couldn't find Gene. We saw him going to the lake, but we never really saw him coming back. At that point, as soon as we got a text saying, you know, he's doing good, then we started moving out. Yeah, that sunrise. Halfway through. That sunrise was beautiful. We all got our feet over the water. And then uh, this is uh, Terry. This is uh, you, uh, Mike Cotter, picture of you flying into an absolutely glorious sunrise, um, snaking our way uh, next to this would have been either Holland or Zealand. Yep. That was a pretty beautiful, uh, beautiful way to start the day uh, on the way across. What do you remember about that first leg, Terry? Anything that sticks out to you that was different? No, that went really good. We had a nice tailwind, and everything was uh, moving along very well. This cross country really was pretty uneventful, I'd say. It was very, it was a good first cross country for us, or at least for me. Even when we landed here, this was our first uh, landing. I mean, it was just huge location to land at. Jack was already there, I think, with the windsock, and uh, it was just perfect and easy to launch to land at. I will say one thing: I remember landing at, at Walter RC Park. Um, besides being a phenomenal place to uh, to visit, uh, was there's a big lake next to it, and I thought that, that lake was going to be so visible, but because of the angle that the sun was at sort of flying into it. I don't know how you felt, Terry, but I felt like it was actually harder to see such a big lake than I was expecting it to be. And that may be something that, you know, over time one gets more used to, but the landmarks that I had planned out weren't quite as visible as I was hoping uh, them to be. Yeah, but we, and that's kind of where I fly regularly, so I have uh, already realized that. <laughs> you don't, you don't you notice know. stuff till you're kind of right over top of it here in Michigan, because we are, uh, almost as flat as florida yes yep this is us at uh, at the rc park and then taking off from there again of course earlier in the day it was a little more leisurely making our way uh, on leg two i guess maybe we could talk just a little bit about um, jack and heather rathburn our wonderful support crew i think they had the gas all waiting out for us uh, when we got there like you said earlier terry um, mike landed with almost nothing in his tank at this stop and uh they were right there, and goodness, how long were we on the ground? Oh, not long at all, because it was getting to be, you know, a little bit later in the morning, so we wanted to make that next push and land at Fly My before the thermals got too crazy. Yeah, I don't know. If we, oh, good. 
is that a Nimbus uh, 2000 wing there on the uh, on the left there? Uh, yeah, that one right there. Is that a, a Nimbus? On the left, the red and white one is a Roadster too. Are you sure that's not a Nimbus 2000? I'm fairly certain that's what it says on my bag. <laughs> yeah, that's that's my Roadster. <laughs> I've never heard of a Nimbus 2000. So this was on the way over to over to Flymy and a um, couple of pictures there, and of course that's where um, Forest Hills Airport's where uh, Flymy PPG's got its uh, headquarters and flying field and the little pick there of I think uh, is that you coming in for the landing there or is that Mike coming in I can't recognize the wing from that shot Terry but uh, this was as we were landing and I, we tried to avoid the thermals but I don't think we completely succeeded. Because uh, I know I was bumping around pretty good on the way in. Yeah, that last flight was pretty bumpy. It wasn't horrible, but you were just kind of touching the controls and getting bumped around the whole time. Pretty bumpy. And we'd come, this is, I think, a pretty impressive uh, shot right here on Google Earth uh, from Fly Sky High. GPS piped into, uh, into Google Earth. But there's our track uh, halfway across the state of Michigan, which from that vantage point, I think looks pretty impressive. Um, Half, a little less than halfway to the goal. Unfortunately, St. John's is a little bit shy. It's more like 90 miles of the nearly, right about 200 miles uh, across the state. So then we hung out. Okay, so you had an intermission during the middle of the day? Yeah, I think we arrived at, at Flymy at about uh, 10, 10.30. Is that your recollection, uh, Terry? Yeah, it would have been somewhere right around there. And it was, a, again, a, we were stuck to doing it on that one particular day. And it was uh, pretty much all sunny all day. So, you know, if we could have chosen our days better, it would have been on an overcast day. We probably would have pushed on for the third and fourth leg uh, significantly earlier. Yeah, I think everyone wanted to be flying, and we had to wait uh, until later in the afternoon. I want to say it was like 4 o'clock. We were getting to the point where we were all watching that window close, and pretty much looking at the wind saying, yeah, we, we want to stay alive. And it wasn't, uh, definitely wasn't time to go. Um, we got to a point where, um, and this was just a, a freak of having, of having mounted it. I had a five gallon tank mounted to my machine, um, and which was, you know, it's a legal limit tank. And, um, Everyone else had more normal size tank. I, you do not want to take off with five gallons of fuel in a tank. I still to this day have never filled it uh, all the way full. Um, but I knew I could put enough in to go direct to the coast uh, in calm or tailwind. And so talking with the guys, we were all starting to see that it was clearing. And it was like, well, this is going to clear. But the window of how long it would take to get to the coast was just closing um really fast and everyone said well if you want to try for it to uh, go for it um and what was neat was our our adventure mutually wasn't uh, wasn't over as a team uh, we ended up sort of parting ways uh there for a little while at flymy and there's a picture here i know i took off um about 4:15 and it was a it was a relatively abrupt takeoff. Um, if in this picture you can, it's Jack Rathburn running next to me. 
And if you look at the clouds, this was the saving grace of the rest of the trip. The skies that, that Terry had described are what you see well behind me in that takeoff run. Just blue, warm, hot Michigan thermal skies. But I'm taking off here to the, uh, well, I guess northwest. Uh, and what you've got coming overhead is a bank of clouds that were just that nice gray overcast that was starting to roll in a few little jagged edges that you can see there, but what was behind them that you can't see behind the photographer is just a complete ceiling of beautiful gray clouds. I never thought I'd call solid gray clouds beautiful. And it was trucking to the east uh, faster than we were ever gonna fly. So we kind of knew this day is gonna get better, uh, but the window is just about to close and the window by 4.15 had closed for time for a refueling stop and then getting to the coast. So the team let me uh, let me take off and uh, with their blessing got off the ground. The first hour after that takeoff was still pretty bumpy um, and got some good views once it calmed down. This is 45 miles away. You can actually see Detroit's skyline. It was something amazing to see not only like Michigan and then the gigantic smokestacks in Lansing, as well as Grand Rapids, and then to see Detroit come into view eventually. Uh, just, just to have seen that was, was kind of incredible. I think that's one of the cool things that you don't really experience till you've experienced it, is linking these things in, your, in reality that were separate concepts for you, major cities, major land features that you've seen before, but you've never seen them in the same moment sitting in a lawn chair in the air. That was really a cool experience. But then uh, not too long after, Terry, you and Mike took off. Yeah, we took off probably, yeah, I don't know how long after, but uh, we knew we weren't going to make the coast, but we figured we'd do one more leg that night. We made it about three quarters of the way through the state to that uh, Davidson High School. We landed there, and, you know, at that point, it was only about an hour before sunset or even after that. Uh, we just knew that was as far as we were going to make it. And, uh, we had a good time doing it. But uh, even yeah, Gene was the only one that could uh, do the whole trip. So that was awesome. I think you guys have made some, some pretty cool decision-making along the way. Um, partly, uh, you know, as we were all doing, just waiting till we were each comfortable to take off. But then additionally, Davison wasn't going to be your, your final stop when you took off, as I recall. There was some thinking of a different airport that didn't pan out once you once you got in the vicinity. Yeah, I forgot about that. We did have, uh, they were going to drop the truck off at this little airport right there in Davidson. And uh, when they got there, they said it had apparently been closed and all locked up and gated off. So in mid-flight, we had that Davidson High School, I think, already picked out or we picked it out in mid-flight. I can't remember now, but uh, it was only shit, a couple miles away, so they went there, and uh, by the time they were dropping the truck off, we were pretty much landing right there, so Jack was able to you know, kind of watch us land, which apparently was right during prom as well, so there was about, oh, I don't know, a thousand kids standing outside waiting to get into prom as we're landing on their soccer fields. And I thought we would uh, track the police for sure during that one, but uh, fortunately, nothing really came of it. And uh, 
they stayed on their side of the parking lot and we stayed on our side but uh, it was pretty interesting somebody's gonna be watching this and be like yeah i was there i i remember that that'd be that would be awesome <laughs> I thought that was a great example of, of decision making and process and then um, even in flight uh, being willing and ready to divert because it would have gotten kind of weird landing at a, at a closed airport where your support crew couldn't get to and then having to sort that one out, especially like uh, was said earlier, if the grass ends up being deeper than you thought it was, you thought it was a mode stretch next to the runway and oops, can't get back off again. That would have been a lot of fun. In this trip, again, it, it went you know really well so we really just didn't have a ton of obstacles to overcome but going back to our the south to north trip we just did we didn't land at a single lz that we were planning on landing at so we either fell short of them because of headwinds or we bypassed them substantially by tailwind so we were every single one of our flights we were constantly adjusting how far we can go and um, talking with the guys driving the truck and telling them to go, nope, keep going to the next airport. We're going to keep pushing. So you definitely got to be able to be flexible and communicate to everybody during the trip. And it really helps to have an idea as to what's around you. When you do the planning, it's not just so that you can de decide exactly where you're going to. It's partly to decide what's around you and what could I divert to. And that's a factor in flight planning, even if you're doing, you know, quote unquote, real airplanes. What's your alternate airport? What's your alternate destination? Uh, this, this, this was on the last leg. So uh, here we are, September 29th, 2018. Um, I'm feeling very supported by everyone letting me make this push for the coast. And after about two hours in, I wanna say this is still an hour from the coast. It was a three hour flight. Uh, to date, I think it's the only three hour flight I've ever done. Um, I was starting to get a little cold because, like I told you last week, I'd forgotten my gloves on this last leg. Uh, but this was just breathtaking, flying in exactly the same direction as three balloons. Uh, they were using the wind, and the wind was sort of magically going in exactly the direction that I wanted to go. So I had an extra 10 miles an hour of tailwind uh, pushing me across. I, I launched with four gallons of fuel, I believe, and I landed with, I want to say, I may have this, I may have this wrong, but it was I, I wasn't quite full when I launched, and I landed with I think a gallon of fuel left, so it was not on, not on fumes because of that nice tailwind that I had. These were beautiful about an hour out, um, and then I uh, saw this park here on Blue Water Bridge, water on the other side of the uh, the state, which was it was magical. It was kind of uh, it was, it was interesting. Uh, we, we planned uh, to land at um, Mike Cotter's parents' home that are out there on the coast. There's a very small stretch of coastline uh, there, knowing that we could divert uh, and land somewhere. But as you get close to the coast, it's mostly trees. There's not a lot of really interesting spots. And this does not look like the kind of place where you would want to to land, uh, they might have some things to say to you. It looks like some kind of an industrial or wastewater complex. That would have been a smelly end of the trip. So I wasn't quite sure that I was gonna be able to find their house along the coastline, but I pressed over the coastline anyways. And this is feet over the, uh, over the lake. 
This is the final GPS track. Um, Terry and Mike have an equally impressive one that, that ends just shy in Davison. Uh, massive cross country by any right. And this is the strip of beach that I ended up landing on. Now, I've never really been a spot landing practicer up until this. Um, now, we might ask, is, was this a good idea? I think we'll have to leave that one for, for judgment calls later. Uh, that strip of beach is only about as wide as a wing uh, with trees along it. Um, but I had the option to go back and look for a field. I had half an hour of light to do so um, and decided, no, I think I can, I think I can get down there and my engine seems to be working well. And I'm going to, it's a long straight beach. So I've got a lot of runway as long as I'm left, right centered. And I think we can do this and it's shallow right next to those piers. I might trip over a pier. That's going to hurt like crazy, but that's kind of what was going through my head, uh, as I got close. And fortunately, uh, Mike Cotter's mom was there uh, taking pictures, taking a video. So you can see my wing on the left, not much wider than the, uh, not much uh, smaller than the beach itself, uh, came down and managed to keep it on my feet. So I was very thankful for their warm welcome while uh, the other guys were getting picked up in Davison. But that got us across the, uh, the state. Spot landings are a lot like uh, finding religion. Um, you find both real quick when you're faced with a real short runway. Yeah, that was uh, that was definitely one of those one of those moments. Um, I, I I can't uh, I can't say that there wasn't a little bit of uh, get itis at that moment. So I'm not sure I would recommend that kind of a landing under those kinds of conditions um, as a as a matter of course, but to each their own. Now, do you have, you were using Sky Fly High or Fly Sky High, and do you have that extra um, part of the app that you actually have to pay for that shows you the airspace and all that kind of stuff? So, you know what I did last week? Terry was talking about that extra part of it, and I've, for the last four or five years, used just the basic. I think the app was paid, but there's some extra buy-in parts that you can use. And I went back after last week's show and Terry was like, yeah, I've got the airspace extension and I bought it because I thought that's just too cool not to have. So now I've got it, but for that trip, I didn't have it. So Tony had asked earlier, um, what happens if you fly into restricted airspace and don't realize it? Uh, you'll find out. <laughs> I don't think they actually can pick you up on radar right away. But, uh, you know, if the plane reports you, then they're going to come looking for you. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's always been an open question among the PPG community. Now, th those of us who do have a, a pilot's license in addition to PPG, we do have a commitment and a relationship with the FAA. Uh, your commitment and relationship with the FAA is to abide by part 103. And I hope we're all doing that and attempting to do that. I don't actually know what would happen. Um, I know that there's some videos on YouTube of folks who've flown into controlled airspace and they landed in controlled airspace, like a military base. I think we've all seen that video. Somebody landed in a military base when they flew out of there all the time, but it happened to be shut down um, the day that they were flying there. And, you know, it, 
it got sorted out, but it was certainly one of those things that, yeah, once by mistake, there's probably forgiveness. And if it's happening very often, you're likely to hear about it. Well, John says that he only lives nine miles from Canada. And if, as long as we all bail him out, he will be happy to test their radar. <laughs> I don't even want to try. No, 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 no. That's crossing. That's crossing into another country. I don't know. I guess it's better, better than some other countries you could fly into, but. Hmm. Oh, yeah, they probably got pretty luxurious jails up in Canada, I would imagine. <laughs> I was once yeah. given advice by a, a well-known instructor who I will not name that when flying near Mexico, always fly in straight lines and low and slow because that's how birds fly. And on the radar, they won't think anything of it. Just saying. <laughs> wow. Yeah, no, I think it's something we want to encourage people to, uh, you know, really pay attention to it. We paid a lot of attention to the airspaces that we were flying near. And uh, the last thing our sport needs is is somebody's wing getting caught up in a in an airliner. Um, it would uh, it would certainly change the regulations very quickly. And actually, one thing I wanted to mention, Nicole, I think it's it's instructive for us. Um, the parachute world has succeeded for many, many years, uh, largely outside of, of FAA regulations because they were so self-policed from the very beginning, the USPA, U.S. Parachute Association. And I know that organizations like the USPPA have done a lot, um, you know, for like tandem foot launch exemptions and other things and putting training curriculum together and everything else. And um, I think it's, you know, sometimes we're tempted to, to exercise our freedoms too far, not recognizing that they will get curtailed and these efforts at self-regulation are far better than having the government regulate our sport. Just have to look to sport pilot uh, to know that that's way more effort than it's necessarily worth. Um, so I think it's just a, a good reminder to, uh, to try to support that kind of an effort. And you know, it takes every one of us, you know, when I started flying out of my home, airport I'm underneath that Grand Rapids shelf so the first thing I did is went out and bought an altimeter and then when I learned about fly sky high I started running that you know and I ran into two other guys that started flying out of there and uh, they just accidentally they they didn't know how high they went and they didn't know how far over the west they went and um, I tried getting their attention and failed mid-flight they didn't do anything too crazy but when they got back on the ground I made sure and bring it up to them so it it's up to everybody to call out or just inform everyone else who's doing something wrong because they will ruin it for everyone else whether they meant to or not and most of the time people don't mean to they either don't know or just didn't realize that they went too high or that they went over into controlled airspace just bring awareness to it and don't be afraid to to talk to people because Without self-regulation, we are going to lose all this freedom. And I'm just getting into the sport, so I want to, this freedom to continue for quite some time. <laughs> I do, too. I do, too. I mean, our airport that we fly out, out of all the time, we have a, a sheet of paper. We are required to have an airband radio. We don't have to have the ability to transmit, but we at least have to have the ability to hear. 
Um, if we're crossing a runway, it has to be, or if we're crossing the airport, it has to be, you know, like 400 feet or above and midfield, you know, all of these rules, right? And I, I don't have an issue with that. I don't think anybody who flies at our airport does because we know that that's, I mean, oh my God, we get to fly in a million, Amelia Island. I mean, it's amazing. It's beautiful. It's, it's, you know, you get up 150 feet and there's the beach. I mean, it's, it's right there. So it's an amazing thing, but they have let us know. I mean, just point blank if, because they have fairly large jets, uh, not commercial, you know, like airliner jets, but fairly large, like Lear jets, those kind of types of jets that, that come into the airport. And they have told us point blank, if you make them deviate because you aren't following the rules, you aren't flying in a flight plan, you aren't, you know, you don't fly in a pattern whenever you land, blah, blah, blah. If you make them deviate and burn one gallon of gas more than what they had planned on burning, you're done for everybody. And so right. it's it's major, you know, and I think that the USPPA is doing a great thing because it provides something for the FAA to call or provides something for, you know, people to, you know, get that regulated training. You know, you know what kind of curriculum they're learning, you know, by the time that they're a P2, you know what, or PPG2, you know what they should know. Um, and all of those things, like it's it's regulating so that if somebody calls the USPPA and goes, hey, we have a problem with whatever, the USPPA can go, we'll handle it. Worry not. We will handle it and, and allow us the opportunity to self-regulate. And I know there's a lot of people that don't want that self-regulation because they don't want any regulation, but if we at least are doing it in-house, then we're not having the thumb of the government, you know, down on us. So and I don't know if you go to their meetings or not, but most all these airports have public meetings. And that was something I'd started going to here at my local airport. I, I go there every single month when they have their meeting and, you know, it's basically gives them somebody to talk to or yell at or whatever to get answers for something that might have happened. So instead of them going to the FAA or whoever, they now know they can just call me. And it may not be me who did it or a guy I know, but I know most of the guys around here. And I've told them, I said, I'll, I'll try and get to the bottom of it. At least gives them a person to contact and try to work through an issue that probably isn't that big a deal. But um, it could be to a pilot who just, once again, doesn't know what our flight plans are. We have the most erratic flight plans ever. Half the time, people don't follow a flight plan whatsoever. And at our local airport, they don't need us to. But when there's an airplane around, we have to stay out of their way. So, you know, I'd encourage everyone to go to their local airport. They all have meetings and, and be a face there. Let them know who you are. Give them your contact info. We've been treated awesome here. They've cut a whole new area for us to park in, launch out of. Last time I went there, they threw up a picnic table for us to put our gear on. I mean, they love the traffic here, but they know if there's an issue, there's a few of us that are going to stand up and, and try to take care of it the best we can. Now, I, I just got a notification here. Uh, 
Nicole, this just happened 45 minutes ago. The FAA just added another section to FAR 103. And now it says here, it is better to ask for forgiveness than it is to ask for permission. So we're, we're okay. Yeah, nice. <laughs> just a brand just came in. And he did it with a straight face too. I was very impressed. I'm impressed too. I'm I, impressed yeah. Hey, hey, Dave, Dave. Yeah. Uh, Oh, sorry. Uh, you know, there's a local airport that got shut down near us due to a, due to an instructor that just wasn't, I don't know if he's still instructing or not, but wasn't playing nice, got, got paramotors permanently kicked out of the local airport, uh, and then moved his operation, my understanding is, uh, to a field near a federal prison with a large federal prison yard. And if you've ever been near any paramotor instruction, you know that sometimes people come down and you don't necessarily know where they're going to come down. To date, I don't actually know if the instruction is still ongoing, but uh, to date, I, don't, I haven't heard anything about anyone coming down in a federal prison yard. But I've, I've yeah, enough said. Let's, I think the lesson from that is, is don't be a Richard. And, you know, just be smart. Think about what you're doing before you do it. Think about the consequences for your actions and think about how the people around you, like the people who live in that area, how they're going to feel. I mean, one of the things that, you know, since we do fly the beaches a lot and not every beach has granted us the ability to launch and land like we can fly over, but we can't launch or land there. So in our area. So one of the things that we have also done is kind of, you know, like cruise the city council meeting minutes and, you know, what their agendas are to make sure that if there is a noise complaint or something like that, there's a representative there and able to speak about it. So um, with that, was there anything else? I know we're, we're running a little long. Was there anything else that we needed to cover? And was there anybody in the chat that wanted to ask a question of Terry and Jean? Thank you so much for being on, uh, before we sign off. Anybody? I'm not seeing any questions in the chat, but there is a little bit of a delay. So I want to give it just a second. So while we are giving it just a second before, uh, just in case any of those questions in the chat, don't forget to um, be on the show or watch the show next week. We will have One Up Adventures, Travis Burns and Kyle Mooney. And it will be hosted by PPG Gorilla and it will be hosted on PPG Gorilla's uh, YouTube. So make sure that if you have not um, subscribed to Dave Ruff, Paramotor Crazy, PPG Gorilla. Um, Trike, Fly Trike Flyers, Dave Ruff. Well, I know. I'm, I am was looking at you at oh. the time. Anyway, so... Why does Trike Flyer have electrical tape on his everybody face? Everybody knows who Dave Ruff is and that he's Trike Flyer. Anyway, if you have not uh, subbed to all of our channels, we are going to start hosting these on separate channels um, and you won't be able to see it or won't won't have that notification if you are not subbed to all of us. So, um, Craig, 
the official answer for landing anywhere needed safely is. I don't think we can make an official make an official answer. But basically, if your motor's out, you're gonna have to land. I mean, but we've had um, a couple of people that have had a motor out and had to land on uh, State Park. I'll tell you what, Craig. I think you should save that question for when Jeff Goyne comes on the show. That'd be a good question to ask Jeff. I agree. That's a great answer. I'll push it to Jeff. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I like how Jeff also answers. No, officer, I wasn't flying over the house. I was flying between the houses. <laughs> I just landed on the house. Jeff knows I how to answer this question. Just like two days ago, when I was out here flying, this, you know, they they came by and asked me about it. I told them. We've heard really interesting stories about folks landing and in, in, uh, landing and taking off intentionally, frequently, in some major metropolitan areas at areas that are, you know, launchable. And yeah. one in particular uh, ended up uh, having the FAA, the local police, uh, all of the above show up, and they were like, "Well, what what about this? What about that?" And I'm not suggesting this as a strategy, but he knew his airspace, he knew his limits, and he had flown, he had GPS tracks, and he could show that everything that he did was inside the confines of, of Part 103 and the regulation. And so maybe maybe just as a tickler for uh, when Jeff comes on, phenomenal content that he uh, generates, his airspace videos and many others. Yeah. Um, you got to, I got to understand what your limitations are and know what the, uh, what the potentials are. So uh, real quick, before we wrap up here, Jeff, uh, John wanted to know when Jeff is going to be on. Uh, we were going to have, we, we weren't able to have that show two weeks ago. Um, we've got a bunch of shows lined up. We're working on getting Bo on here soon. Of course, next week we said we have uh, one up adventures. Um, we've got another show lined up after that. Uh, we'll get him on as soon as possible. Um, and I think I saw another question. Uh, anybody, Dave Ruff could probably answer this question for you, Jonathan Wheeler. Do you know anyone in central Alabama that flies? I'm possibly looking and getting into paramotoring. Dave, anybody in central Alabama? He's probably not too far away from Kyle, I would imagine. Uh, Alabama is going to be a little bit of a drive, but I'll tell you what. Uh, if he sends me a message uh, up on my Facebook, I will look around and see if I can find some information. In who, who is um, almost heaven PPG there in uh, the Southern part of West Virginia. It might not be too far from him from Alabama. Yeah. Alabama, Alabama. Is a little oh, bit yeah. out of there. Okay. Um, you can always look on uh, us PPA website. And I believe they are, there's a listing there for uh, um, all the different instructors that they would recommend as well. So you can look there as well. All right. Nicole? John brings up real quick, uh, just, I'm, I'm sorry, uh, almost every state has their own Facebook group, uh, and that's that's been my experience as well, is you can look mm -hmm. up pretty much in any state Facebook paramotor, and it's going to come up with some sort of, some sort of group. Uh, we do have all of the, all of our YouTube channels on the website, correct? Yes, we do. Yes. And it also too, on the website, if you have any questions um, for anybody on the panel, 
You can go on the website at the very end of the very first page. There's uh, contact or ask questions. Uh, that'll shoot an email directly to me, and I can forward it on to anybody on the panel that you'd wish to, to ask a question of. And uh, that doesn't mean Crockett can go on there and put hateful things because he knows it's going to come to me. <laughs> <laughs> Crockett. <laughs> All right. Well, I want to thank Gene and Terry so much for uh, hanging in with us for two weeks in a row. I believe that last week and this week have been just absolutely incredible. I know that for myself, I am interested in in starting to do some longer distance uh, cross countries. And this has been invaluable information, just learning from you guys. So I just want to say thank you to the panel as well, Dave, David, and Rick, and uh, Calvin. He had to run his, uh, his son's car battery died, so he had to go and, and rescue his son. And Brandon as well, he was spending some family time with his, with his son, taking him flying. So I just want to thank everybody from the panel and then also our guests this week. And we greatly, greatly appreciate you hanging in with us. Thanks for having us. Appreciate it. it so until next week, again, next week, One Up Adventures with Kyle Mooney and Travis Burns. It will be hosted on PPG Gorilla's uh, YouTube channel. So make sure that you tune in 8 o'clock Eastern Standard Time. And I hope that you guys have a great week. Happy flying, blue skies, fair winds, everybody. Bye.